This week on Art in the Air features singer-songwriter Bonnie Kolak, a fixture in the Chicago music scene since 1968, featured for a decade at the Earl of Old Town, appearing one night only at the Old Town School of Music on February 3rd. Our spotlights on the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair at South Bend Century Center on February 17th and 18th with Shereen Klein. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself to art. And show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. She's been with us several times before, but we're coming back for the 2024 for the Love of Art Fair. She's the founder and the whole entrepreneur of the event in South Bend at the Century Center, Shereen Klein. Welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to see you. I love seeing Esther with her beautiful glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is your 10th anniversary, so it's pretty exciting. And of course, if any one of our listeners have been listening to Art in the Air, we've had, oh, I think almost six guests on that are uh, going, actually looking back over the years, we've had several people that are also going to be there uh, in our show, but uh, it sounds exciting. So tell us some of the things that are coming up for the 10th anniversary of the For the Love of Art Fair. Well, we have many of our returning artists uh, joining us from Kentucky and Michigan, Chicago, and so forth. But we have a lot of new artists, young artists, like a whole new emerging group of artists I'm excited about. Um, so that that's exciting to have some fresh faces and some fresh art and energy at the show this year. So tell us about some of the artists that we'll see. You know, we've obviously interviewed them, but what varieties of art you have uh, on display there? And, and it, you know, tell us about what you can expect over the two days that you're going to have it in February. Well, you can always expect beautiful things for your wall to decorate your home. And then we also have wearable art like hats and um, just we have some a silk artist that paints on silk. So there's scarves. We have a, a weaver that has this beautiful integrated uh, beautiful colors of weaving pieces that you can wear. And we have sculptures, lots of sculptures. In fact, 
you know, from the beginning, I always was inspired by Sofa and Art Expo, which is full of sculptures. And this year, I swear, we have probably more sculptors than we've ever had before. And I think in the past, you've featured like an artist. Do you have that again this year? Yes, we always feature a local artist. And this year, our honorary artist is Susan Ward. And so and what, you've had And what type of work does she do? She does a found objects she creates kind of like um a collection of found objects and she how can i explain she has a <laughs> is that her interview anyways she has like found objects and she integrates them into wood and metal pieces and so forth she just takes discarded objects and puts them together to create sculptures yeah. And we had her on our we interview. Did. It was January 19th. So it, uh, if people want to, they can look listen to that interview with her uh, on Lakeshore. I was always curious, what was the inspiration for you to do this, to take this huge task on 10 years ago? I said, well, why, why do we need an art fair indoors? Well, I was inspired by, again, Art Expo and Sofa attending that show and thinking to myself, I can do this too but at a smaller scale and allowing the artists to have an affordable art fair where they can display their work and sell their work and not be able to, they, they pay for their booth space and they don't have to pay a commission to me. So they keep a hundred percent of their sales. Wow. That's a great, uh, you know, cause most of those don't work that way. So, and how is it to work with the South Bend Century Center? I mean, that's been your venue. Has it been the venue for all 10 years? No. Our stepping stone was another venue in Elkhart, Indiana. And then we moved on to the South Bend Century Center because it's in the heart of downtown. And it just works better for us. And we also work with all those great restaurants and stuff in the, in the downtown area for in-kind sponsors. So we have all these door prizes that we give out. And those would be like $25 gift certificates to different restaurants in the area. So the people that come through our door, um, there's an admission of $10, but they may be leaving with a $25 gift certificate to go out to eat. Or even up to a $300 gift certificate, we have some packages that are up to $300 that are our door prizes. Wow. So what kind of attendance do you have? Um Definitely people that uh, appreciate the art. They're looking for things to purchase. But we also have a lot of people that just are curious. So therefore, I have, I have the artist put together in their booth things that are affordable for the curious people that have never been to an art fair. And then things that are more for the collectors that are looking for something to decorate their home. And they always... I, and, always encourage them to put a masterpiece in the center to let people know that they have other things available maybe at um, a more expensive level but our stuff is always affordable at this show so shireen with your featured artist how is that designated within the group of artists are they off on their own is there um, when you come somebody know that that's a featured artist oh when you come in they're right there at the door that's how we (laughs) yep they're the first ones that you're going to see, the first person that you see. And so they, I offer them a 10 by 20 space and they get to, you know, create their gallery space. But, you know, um, I also have a memorial, two memorials this year, of course, Brabant, Lenting. So Leo will be in to uh, display his work. And I have another one. His name is Scott Hatt. And he passed away a few years ago, and I was really inspired by his work. So um, 
I asked the trustees of his um, work to display his work at the show. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, we only have about a minute left, so we want to give you a chance to tell people about your website, how to get there, and also accommodations that you have if you're coming from out of town. Everything is on our website for the levelartfair.com. If you're coming in from out of town, we have a special link with the double tree that you can there's a special rate that I'm offering to our guests and all of our artists and it is February 17th and 18th at the South Bend Century Center. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, there's also great music, and we featured some of that, uh, one of those artists on there that it tells. Saturday, February 17th, 10 to 5, Sunday, February 18th, 11 to 4, South Bend Century Center uh, for the Love of Art Fair. Shereen Klein, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air Spotlight. Happy 10th, Shereen. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. You have a wonderful, happy new year. Yeah, you as well. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. You're listening to Art on the Air with our guest today, singer-songwriter Bonnie Kolak on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. Ah, sweet temptation, full of laughter. So many bodies I could not move. But you found me in the darkness. Took me slow dancing to the blues. And if you ask me when I need comfort, what would it be? world I would choose your loving arms and your warm body to take me slow dancing to the blues wrap me up oh put your Honored to welcome Bonnie Kolak to Art on the Air. Bonnie is a multifaceted wonder in music, fine arts, and theater, garnering acclaim as well as awards in all those disciplines. Her career has brought her into many exciting and long-lasting collaborations. Her talents are ever-growing and inspiring. 
I adore and admire this abundantly talented, beautiful woman. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Bonnie. It's so good to see you. Well, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here with Larry also. Well, thank you. And uh, unfortunately, we missed our last interview. The last time we saw you is when we were interviewing your husband about his book. But now is your chance to tell us your life story. I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about Bonnie. Well, soon that's going to be 80 years worth. That's a long time. (laughs) I'll shorten it. Um, Well, I was born in Waterloo, Iowa. My dad worked in the factory. Um, I had a brother, Jim, and my mom. And they loved music. They listened to, like, the radio all the time. And they used to have music on. They had the LPs and the old uh, records. And I grew up listening to um, Bing Crosby. That'll date me. Um, and, you know, they, li- they loved country music. And at that time, it was more traditional country. So I grew up with that on my, in my immediate family. But my aunts and uncles were really into, my dad's family were Czech from Prague. A lot of my uncles were born there. Uh, my dad was youngest, so he was born here. But they loved classical music. And... So I was exposed to that at a young age and also in Catholic school. Um, We had music appreciation. I remember when the nun came in, put on a record and said, played Peter and the Wolf. And I wish that they still did stuff like that in schools so that children would be, you know, uh, would hear more, you know, a variety of music. Um, Music has been the huge thing in my life. Uh, I sang whole songs when I was three years old, and I always sang a cappella, so it really developed my ear. Um, I had a hard time deciding if I wanted to be a singer, uh, a visual artist, or an actress. And I really wanted to do all of them, because I thought, you know, um, if, I, if you work really hard, you could do them. And they're complimentary. So, yeah, yeah, they are. And I, having done a lot of different things. I see how the arts are so interconnected. I mean, you can dance a line, you can sing a line, you can draw a line, and it transfers in the fact that, like, if you sing a line, uh, it, if you think of an ink uh, line drawn with a brush, you can you can make you have different tones in your singing voice. So a dark, heavy stroke would be ah, and then a thinner one would be. So it's still a line. It's just using um, a different way of thinking. And so I really trained my ear. And so I have sort of a photographic memory for sound. So when I learn, I mean, I, I can read somewhat, but not really. I don't learn things from reading music. I learn it from listening. And so if I'm going to learn a new song, I will not sing along with the piano, but I'll listen to the piano and then I hear it back in my head and then I sing it. So I hear pitch in my head. And I think that comes from probably a natural ability, but then also being exposed to that kind of thing from a really young age. Um, I went to Catholic school from first to graduated from first grade to graduation. Then I Uh, The only way I could go to school that I had the money to go would be at State College of Iowa at that time, which was in Cedar Falls. And I started out as a drama major because I was very active in drama in high school. 
and I really wasn't singing. I sing, I don't, I mean, I didn't sing um, like in the head tones, like that kind of thing. I, I sang, I learned to sing from Bing Crosby, who they used to call a crooner. And they really sing just like you're talking. It's just real natural. I always say if any, anybody can really sing, if they can carry pitch. But like when he did, um, would you like to swing on a star? That's so natural and easy. And, uh, and, and I've sort of developed a way of placing things so that I can interpret and sing the way I want to. Uh, the horn has really affected me and the fact that I will take the vibrato out and I think of air going through a through a tube like and so that's a chest voice but really it's just like speaking and um, in singing, you can, you have so many colors and so many emotional things that you can use as colors. You can use uh, rhythm. You can use silence. You can use loud. You can use soft. You can use thin. You can use fat. <laughs> and opera singers do this a lot, and they they use much more of their head tones. And they'll practice a year to be able to sing over the orchestra. So uh, I started out a drama major, and then I switched to an art major. And that's actually, I didn't finish. I went off and, off and on to school for six years, <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be an artist of some kind. So then um, I uh, sang with the jazz band in the music department, but... Uh, they took me on tour with them, but I was singing in clubs, doing traditional folk music and making uh, money at that. And when I was like 21, that's when I started doing that. And then I finished with an art degree. And uh, that's my degree is in art education. I could teach, but I, I never really wanted to teach. But I wanted a degree because no one in my family, immediate family, had even really finished high school. So I was the... That was just important to me to do. Um, let's see, I skipped quite a ways ahead. And then, <laughs> should I stop and let... And oh, you're doing breath? fine. We love to hear the story. Oh, I know. Okay. And then uh, I was uh, making money singing. I, I got a guitar and friends of mine who I was taking lessons from, a friend said, Bonnie, you ought to be playing. And they were playing at a little... Uh, Bob Waller, actually, who wrote Bridges of Madison County later. Bob and my friend Scott Kowalty were a duo, and they were playing. And they got me to go down to this little place, and I got a job for the summer. And I was just starting to play guitar, and I said to Scott, gee, Scott, I, he said, you ought to be playing, you know, like getting a gig. And I said, but I, I don't know very many songs. And he said, ah, I said, just or the guitar. He said, ah, just sing. Play with your elbow. It doesn't matter. Just sing. <laughs> so um, that's what I did. And and You were a major part in the 60s and the 70s of the scene down there. I guess you might call it the folk scene or that kind of uh, thing, like old town area and thereabouts. So tell us a little bit about those experiences. Okay. So I was going to school, and I was really depressed. 
and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I kept failing in and out of school. So my friend Gib, who moved to Chicago, he was from Cedar Falls, and he said, Kolak, come on in here. You, you, you need to come into Chicago. So uh, Chicago, in the, you know, being from the Midwest was like the big city you could go to. I knew someone there, and I really, when I came to Chicago, I immediately felt I had, I had arrived home. And, but the folk boom, boom, the one where you had, like, was earlier, like the radio play and everything. When I arrived in town, really, uh, the women that were singing were, were with groups. It was Spanky and Our Gang. It was Mama and the Papas with Mama Cass. The single woman singing folk songs was really kind of passe at that time. And, but I, that's what I was doing. And so... I went. I was just had gotten into town, and I was cleaning house for Gib, and he'd let me sleep on the floor, and uh, in his little coach house, which, which was an old town. So we were walking down the street on Well Street, and uh, we came to the where the old Quiet Night was, which was at the south end of of um, Well Street, and. There was the door, and we went in, and there was no one really in there. And um, the guy's name was Brown. That was his last name. I remember he had on a striped, big striped T-shirt. And he was there, and I said, um, Gib, will you ask him if I can get up? And he said, you want the job? You ask him. So I said <laughs> to him, could I try out? I, I'm a singer. And he said, from where? I said, Iowa. Well, um I said, could I audition? And he said, sure, here's a little guitar. So I got up and I sang. And then he said, well, just stay here a minute. And he called Richard Harding, and, and Richard was the owner. And he said, I want my, my, the owner to hear you. So he came down, and Richard hired me for $60 a week. And, um, and so I started singing there. I sang there all summer. And Gib lost his job at Marshall Fields because he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, shave his beard, <laughs> and so he needed a job. So he became the bartender there for a while. So uh, in the fall, I I had heard that Earl wanted me to wanted me to come up there, and. I, I wanted to get an accompanist because I really wanted to stretch out and sing much more. And I'm so lazy. I hated to practice guitar. And so I found a guitarist. And in the meantime, I went and I played at a place called the Oats, where you'd go on and sing and all these lights would come on and off like for go-go dancers. And the Chicago <laughs> cops used to come in there and like sit around too. Anyway, I went up and I auditioned for Earl and... Um, I remember Freddie Holstein laughing all the way down the steps. He said, you're going to work at the Earl. Oh, that's <laughs> such a noisy place and everything. Well, I bantered around with Earl because I didn't want to get into something like if I said I'd play there six months and I hated it. So I said, no, no, how about like just two, two weeks? So uh, he said, yeah, two weeks with a two-week option. So I started, I started at the Always Earl. negotiating. Yes, that's right. It was like a chess game between he and I. And so, and I was like 23. I was 23 years old. And um, it just went really well from the get-go. And, you know, I had worked five years, like at Ramada Inns and Holiday Inns, 
the bars playing before I got to Chicago. And I really learned how to deal with an audience because they didn't shush anybody like folk clubs did. Um, I had to earn that audiences to, to, to hear, you know, to hear me. And I even had one gig where when I was off, go-go dancers went on. And then I came back on and did folk music. So <laughs> that's crazy. So it really went well at the Earl, and uh, that became sort of my family. And there were wonderful players there. And, and it just, um, I don't know, I just started to uh, uh, get really nice audiences and and then I met that first that first week I met Stevie Goodman who yeah. was only like 19 years old and Steve Goodman who an incredible writer and performer and um so did you meet him because he came to hear your set no I met him through Guy Gilbert who was a bass player who was sort of connected to the old town school in fact Guy took me down to the old town school when it was on Wells or on uh, North Avenue right and and Win Strachey, he was one of the uh, one of the uh, people that started it and for my yeah that was wonderful and partly the, the folk scene did not die out because of the old town school um they that wasn't a passing thing of only doing what's popular you know after the popularity uh sort of waned the old town school was still there because they felt that folk music was a viable music for for anyone you could go and take guitar lessons and you could play you could play english ballads or play old american folk songs and so really folk music in Chicago really sustained partly because, hugely because of the Old Town School. Right. And orphans. I mean, orphans continued with folk until the 80s, even along with the oh, early, right. You know. right, right. And uh, yes, and there were quite, there was, um, there were like half a dozen really strong folk clubs and um, and then, you, of course, you had the blues. You could not but be, I mean, unless you were dead, you couldn't be uh, not uh, inspired by the great blues players. I mean, I met Willie, Willie Dixon later. Uh, Willie was this incredibly wonderful songwriter. He had worked at Chess Records. And I got to, I got to like, meet them. And, and he gave me, uh, later when I was going to record, um, he gave me like I still have it a, a cassette of songs for Barney Kalak. <laughs> yeah, and and Willie was such a darling. Oh, he was he was a an incredible human being and great man. It was really nice that the seventies and eighties everybody was so accessible. I mean, Sunny yeah. Slim was just like yep. so you lovely, you know, yeah. and, just, yeah. and it and very accessible. So, oh yeah, and all those yeah. places were in such close proximity to each other too. The blues clubs and the folk clubs. So that's right. That's right. They were in that area from Wells Street down Lincoln Avenue. You could you could hit you know if you wanted to go out, you could hit a blues club and you could go to a folk club. Um, and it, it was just, it was an amazing, amazing boiling pot of music. And even in the midst That's a perfect even, description. Really, it was because people, lots of people were influenced by a lot of different things. And 
it was a time when it, it actually in the music business too like um you had dylan you had someone who then went into you know he brought in a, uh, he had a, he was acoustic but then brought in uh electric and we waited for the the beatles albums you know we waited they didn't say oh there's a white album coming and it's just fantastic and you'd wait to get it and it was such an emergence and it was an emergence with social justice too and and peace and war and people were standing up for what they believed and it was it was all mixed in with all that and then you had Phil Oaks who wrote those great great um, protest songs in fact I opened at uh, at um, the old quiet night I opened for Jim and Jean and they did a lot of Phil Oaks material and he wrote incredible uh, protest songs and I was there when they were having all of the 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 uh, craziness of uh, the uh, convention. And I was right down in the middle of all of it because we saw the police and the big buses and and squad cars. I was working at the, uh, would have been the summer of 68 or 9. When was the convention? Do you know, was it 68 or 68? 68. 68. I was in the middle of all of that. And, and I was working at, it was my first summer in Chicago, and I was working at the Old Quiet Night, which uh, people were running down the street, and Richard shut the door. He had a big dog named Duke, and he, had, he always kept a gun behind the bar, and he had a big chunk of keys um, hanging on his pants in the back. And if something was going on, he'd say, Duke! And the dog would come <laughs> running out from behind the bar, and he would grab his gun, and... The they shut the door and locked it, and you could see people running, and I I could see police cars across in the schoolyard with their lights on, chasing people, and then stopping. Had the door, the guy jumped out, had the door open, and he's like beating on this guy with a with a billy club, and so we sat in there for quite some time until it 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 died down. Um, it was it was an incredible time. And I just happened to wander into it that spring. So, so Bonnie, when did you start writing songs? Um, when did that come in? And especially because I know you had mentioned that New York City Blues was was a song that you wrote quite a long time ago. And we'd like oh, to yeah. listen to that soon. But could you talk, well, us, talk to us about I, songwriting? Right. I started writing songs when I was in college before I came to Chicago. And I wrote, actually, Rainy Day Lady was one of my first songs because I was so depressed. And it went, uh, um, a lonely woman on a rainy afternoon sings her song softly to her shadowed room, wakes up early, sleeps way past noon. What's bothering you, you rainy day lady? Uh, look in the mirror on your wall. Do you have a number that you can call? Do you, um, well, I can't remember the rest of it, but uh, you rainy day lady. So... That was before I came. And then I wrote, when I got there in 68, in the fall, there was, I met somebody who said, oh, yeah, come to New York and we'll record. I said, oh, boy, okay. So I went and I stayed with a family. Actually, it was a priest and his wife, the Episcopalian priest, Ian Mitchell, and he had written the first mass uh, for uh, folk mass. And they were real sweethearts. And so they lived in White Plains, New York, and they said, Bonnie, you can stay with us. And when I went to New York, 
Stevie Goodman had just found out he had cancer and he almost died from it. And uh, I would take my guitar and go up and see Steve at the Sloan Kettering uh, Hospital. And um, anyway, I wrote uh, New York City Blues uh, when I was staying at their house. And I, I helped pay my way by babysitting for their children. <laughs> Such a great experience in that that whole area. I remember hitting ratzos and orphans, but I was more yeah. jazz oriented. Right. Well, jazz was more down on well on uh, Rush Street, right? And they had the, the you know at that time you had all of this bigotry or prejudice uh, get between the music. So uh, classical looked down on jazz and folk and. Jazz looked down on folk. Everybody and, looked down on folk. Everybody looked down on folk. You weren't really a musician. You couldn't be a very good musician if you were a folk musician. And, um, yeah, and so, but then later, you know, the horn player from the Chicago Symphony, great French horn player, can't think of his name right now. Oh, man. Anyway, he would come in down to jazz at noon, you know, and, and, that was a little later, though. Uh, I went down, and then I got to sit in with the jazz players. And actually, people became less prejudiced over time. And now, you know, it's a common thing. Like, Yo-Yo Ma will play with a guy from, you know, like, people from Nashville and stuff. But it was it was players that made that change. And, um, yeah, it was really funny, because everybody looked down on folk music. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to hear what some of your work, and I think uh, New York City Blues with our guest today, Bonnie Koa. An empty bed in an empty room. Oh, the light it is too bright, and the night's too soon.
New York City Blues with our guest today, Bonnie Kolak on Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. Yeah, so, so amazing to hear the story and then hear the song. And so yes, when I get a dollar and go to Chicago again, <laughs> I'm just like a fool, I'll leave again. But Chicago... Uh, Israel will always be home to me because it took me in. Yes, it's, it will always be home. Um, okay, so after you ask, go ahead, Esther. No, no, I was just going to say, um, how how does you know? Do you write songs prolifically, or no? Or uh, no, I'll tell you when the when I went to New York later when I went to New York in the 80s, I was so alone that I would sit in front of the TV and uh, I would write. And I wrote a whole album that summer. And they were some of my best things. But And once the door opens, it's one part of your brain that um, works. And then once that closes, when you stop doing that, then it really closes for me. And, it, and it's so funny because some songs I'd just written like, you know, Zoom, Zoom, and other times I have bits and pieces for years. Um, I just did a thing in Nashville and talked to John Prine's family and Fiona, his wife. And John, you know, she said hadn't recorded in 13 years. And they said, John, you have to write more songs. So they he would keep bits and pieces. And um, that's what you do. It's like... Uh, uh, is, the is, it catalyst, is it kind of yeah. catalyst driven though because it seems like so much like you talked about rainy day woman was yeah. from your depression and you wrote two beautiful yeah. songs about your brother so it seems like oh yeah my I mean, songs beautiful t- songs about your brother my songs tend to be right from my life and uh um or you know crumbs in the butter after i got married <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I had a friend actually who said the one thing that when she was married that it uh, crumbs in the butter. She says it's going to sound funny, but that drove me crazy. And so I kept that for years and years. And then much, much later wrote the song Crumbs in the Butter. And so, um, yeah, they're they're very tied with my life. My I had a wonderful older brother who was a guitar player and always in and out of trouble and did not survive our childhood. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think if I wrote every day, then more would come, you know. But yeah. I, I haven't even counted how many I've written, and I don't even know if I have them all written down anywhere. So you, so you, so you start out kind of solo, and how do you? How did the development of this wonderful band that you, uh, you is how did that come about? How did you meet all of these people? Well, at first, I I signed in with a small record company, which it was a crazy time, and I hardly ever talk about it. <laughs> and uh, I I was involved with people who really wanted me to be the singer to a rock and roll band. And I went along with it for a while, but then I finally had a hit single in 1973 and they didn't have it in the stores. So it fell off the charts. And that was a huge disappointment because if you have a hit single and people just don't forget it. And so you can, you can draw like you can go and play in New York city or you can play in Tennessee or Des Moines or something, and people are going to come because they know they are familiar with you. Well, this fell off the charts, and that was like that was really, really a disappointment. And I lost, I didn't record for a while, and um, you know, all my records never sold very much. So, uh, you know, you you it's so different than now. You can be up there and have people see you. Um, I know it's, it's so ephemeral almost. You catch the wave. I mean, it sounds yes. like you caught the wave and then a lot yeah. of things fell off because yes. you know, not everybody connected the dots in promoting you. Oh, it was it was really hard when uh, uh, they told me to go to, I was playing the, a bit of, no, I was playing out in the Troubadour out in California and uh they told me to call these people and thank them. They they had a lot to do with disc jockeys. And it was a turntable hit across the country. It was called You're Gonna Love Yourself in the Morning. It was a song written by Donnie Fritz, who was Christofferson's piano player. And um, But it wasn't in the stores. And the producer called me and said, Bonnie, if they don't get it in the stores, it's going to fall off the charts. And Anne Murray's thinking of covering it. And someone else is thinking of covering it. And then... I had it on the back side. I had. I also had Jim Croce's um, "I Can Only Say I Love You" in a song, and then his wife put that out, uh, and that was a big hit. Um, you know, I was supposed to. I played Ravinia with Jim Croce, and I was supposed to go out on the road with him on tour, and he went down on the airplane. I know, just yeah. so tragic. Yeah, it was. And Morgan Tell was with him. He was from Chicago. And his first act was with him, too. And uh, so, anyway, but it was sad because he was truly talented and a real sweetheart. Yep. But then in the 80s, I went to New York. I decided I, I had decided I wanted to see if I was good enough to pitch in the major leagues. But I had played there before and gotten good reviews. But I decided I should move there. And I was tired of all the cold and snow in Chicago, digging my car out when I was buried with snow. So in the 80s, um, I saved up money from working at the Earl, and um, I went off to New York. I had an illegal sublet and had to take a dog in and out, so they finally found out I was there. 
And, and Sandy Dennis, the actress, was a good friend of mine, and she got me to try out for some things with Joe Papp at the Public Theater. And I landed a part in a show that Galt McDermott, who had written, McDermott, who had written Hair, uh, did. And um, I was there. I hadn't acted since I was in high school or college. But I don't know. I seemed to fall back into it. And Wilfred Leach, who was a wonderful director with Joe, Will had directed um, uh, Pirates of Penzance. And anyway, I got good reviews and I won some awards. And um, But I decided I was 44 years. I, I turned 40. I always said I'd kill myself when I was 40, but instead <laughs> I went to Broadway. <laughs> and um, yeah, some awards, the Bronze Award for yeah. Outstanding New Talent on Broadway. That's well, a big award. <laughs> and Joe was wonderful. I love Joe Papp. He was so good to me. And he wanted me to come out and try for other things and stuff. But then, you know, like the plague for gay people, I can't think of it right now, came Rent. in. Yeah, HIV came in and it sort of wiped out. I mean, Will died of it. It, it was horrible. And a lot in the cast... Um, when I was leaving, a lot of people died from that. It was terrible. But I have a wonderful story. They wanted Betty Buckley originally, who was a wonderful Broadway actress, and for the part. And they didn't call me back right away. Um, they, they did a read-through with Betty. And they called me back, and I went up, and I had not met Joe. I met, uh, I was Joe and uh, Wilfred and... Galt was sitting in these folding chairs in this little room, and and Joe had not heard me. Now, Galt and Will did, but this was like a couple months after I had auditioned. So I was kind of nervous, because anytime I don't want something, I'm great. When I want something, I fall apart. And uh, I did the thing, and, and then I was leaving, and they said thank you, and I was just getting into the, the uh, elevator, and the... Um, one of the guys came running out, and, and not Joe, or but someone else, the casting director, and said, Bonnie, Bonnie, they'll let you know. I said, oh, thank you. I don't think I did very well. And they said, no, it's okay. Um, and he came running back and grabbed the elevator door and said, no, no, they want you to come back in. So I went back in, and I stood there, and Joe stood up, and he, ha he bowed, and he handed me the, the libretto big thick thing and I and he said it's and he bowed and he said it's yours <laughs> and I said Mr. Papp I'll work really hard I'll be as excellent as I can be and and then I left and I didn't have anybody to tell <laughs> I was in New York alone I was sleeping on the floor with the dog living on ten dollars a day and I'm 40 years 40 39 years old and I called my mother in Iowa, and I said, Mama, this is a big deal. I just got in this show with Joseph Papp, and this is like a really big deal. And she's going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, so I didn't have anybody to celebrate with. And, but anyway, it was a wonderful thing. And theater people, it's, when you get in a show, it was a huge cast. Mary Elizabeth Mastiotonio, who is from Chicago, beautiful great beautiful voice lovely person and um 
and we ran, I think it was 13 weeks at the public, and I got wonderful reviews. And Joe, in fact, when I got back from the first night that we did it, he called me and left a message on my machine and said, Bonnie, this is Joseph Papp, and I want to read you the reviews. So it was, it was a wonderful experience. And after that, I just thought, you know, I want a home. I hadn't had a home. I went everywhere alone. I ate alone. I, I was such a loner. And that's when I came back to Chicago. And, uh, and I finished my degree in art. I, I decided I wanted that. I, I wanted to know that I could do that. And I did that. And, um, and I'd always worked somewhat visual in visual art. I'd do a painting a year. And... A magnificent uh, painting. Oh, I don't think I'm that great a painter. Oh, but, no, you're a very good painter. <laughs> well, I always thought that if I would have spent the time on my visual art instead of all the time I put on my singing, that maybe I would have been a better visual artist. But I just sort of do things that um, I do it because I have to. That's who I am. I, I like to set up a problem and solve it. And that's what you do and to express something. And You're listening to Art on the Air with our guest today, singer-songwriter Bonnie Kolak on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. I have a question about because we want to listen to the snake. Now, is that your okay. Indiana is that your Indiana connection? No. 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 But I I was very very uh, connected to Indiana. Through my friend Kurt Burkhardt. Yeah, well, I had a little house on the Tippy Canoe. Kurt Burkhardt, who died, who was my bud for three years, was from Rochester, Indiana. And so for a while, I had a house on on the Tippy Canoe. But no, this was when, after I married, I married in 88 after I came back. And we bought an old house a couple years later in Iowa. And in northeast Iowa, it is not flat. It's up near the Mississippi River. And there was a rattlesnake in our backyard. And the dog found it. And I went out and I couldn't understand what was this loud noise. It sounded like a little engine. And it turned out to be about a four-foot rattler in the, you know, and the dog had found him. But he wasn't that close. But So I wrote the poem. And then I set it to music and later recorded it. How fun. <laughs> well, Bonnie, we're just about out of time, so we're going to play that song, The Snake. But we want to give you a quick chance to tell us what you got coming up uh, at Old Tom School of Music on Saturday, uh, February 3rd, and also how people can uh, find you online. Uh, they can find me online, uh, uh, let's see, bonniecolock.com. And uh, I do have CDs available. Uh, you know, I, people don't buy CDs anymore, but but I do have them. And um, I'm doing an 80th birthday party concert at the Old Town School of Folk Music, February 3rd. My birthday's the 6th. And I lied many years ago to the Chicago Tribune <laughs> and told them I was two years younger than I am. <laughs> Someone said to me, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to be 80? I said, yeah, I think so. But I feel really good, and I'm still singing okay, and and I'm so excited about doing this. So, Well, Bonnie, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. That's Bonnie Kolak. She'll be uh, Saturday, February 3rd at the Old Town School of Music, and now we're going to be listening to The Snake. Thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air.
Thank, Thank you, you, my dear friend. Thank you, Esther, you darlings. Okay, bye-bye. Dog is gone crazy. There's a snake in the yard Hiding in the flowers And he's rattling hard The cats are all curious They just sit there and stare Wanting to get closer But wondering if they dare Is it an omen? Is it a sign? Does it know? While the rest of us are blind Run for the camera Ooh, run for the broom Run for the garden hole to secure Let the terrible thing live Is it an omen? Is it a sign? Does it know the future While the rest of us are thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. 
Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world.